Welcome to Reputation Town. Welcome to Reputation Town, episode 18. This is Warren Weeks, and as always, I am joined by my friend and fellow communicator, John Paranak. John, what's new in your life since we last spoke? I am drowning in a pile of Halloween candy. <laughs> you know how last year <laughs> there was no Halloween was because canceled. of the pandemic? Now I'm, I'm just overcome with eating candy. What is your favorite? Do you have it there? Uh, in, I don't have it in front of me right now because I've eaten them all. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I like I like things that have a com- like the things that they don't give out, like the combo nut, things with combination of nuts and chocolate. Oh, those are you can't you're gonna kill somebody with that. Exactly, it's it's like having a loaded gun <laughs> lying around. You're gonna have to wear like surgical gloves before you start handing stuff. You can't even touch like <laughs> when I was a kid, you could just. Peanut butter sandwiches every day. You can just bring them to school. And it was like the onus yeah. was on the kid. Yeah. Well, not the kid, but the parents, I guess. Having said that, I saw a couple of kids get wheeled out, you know, looking back. One of them was a buddy of mine, and <laughs> uh, we were in high school. And keep in mind, like, I'm like, I don't know, 12, 13. Like, you're not, I don't even think I'm that bright now. So imagine you're 12 or 13. And so one of my best friends, we're in, we're in like, I think grade 10 or 11, and he has a super nut allergy. And uh, I think maybe his mom was trying to kill him, <laughs> but he says, Hey, <laughs> and he pulls open a granola bar and he, and he shows it to me. And you know, it's a bunch of this mysterious stuff glued together. And he's like, do you think there's any peanuts in this? I'm like, I don't like, I think they're all peanuts. Like, I think they're all, but I look at it. I'm like, I don't know. It looks like cardboard to me. Like I, I, th- I said, I think you're good. And so he eats the thing, the bell rings. And then uh, we each go to our separate classes and we're in these portables off in one end of the school. And about 10 minutes later, I see, we go to Catholic high school, right? And I see one of the priests walking him down the hall and he's like, he's like wheezing and they're bringing him out to like get an EpiPen shot or something. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I felt <laughs> pretty awkward for the rest of that class. I'm like, oh man. Well, it's not like you're a food scientist or anything to advise him on the composition of the. So we're going to blame the victim, or. blame the victim for, uh, you shouldn't have asked me, <laughs> which is, we're going to hit on that today a little bit. Um, so do you have any candy left for the kids? That's the real question. I did. I, I made a special run to Costco to get the full size chocolate bars. Oh my God. You're, yeah. you're that so guy if you're in the mood for trick or treating. You're the full chocolate <laughs> bar, full size chocolate bar guy. Yeah. We should give out your address so people can go, <laughs> go and pick it up, <laughs> grab a little, uh, grab their little shopping bag and head over there. Uh, anything else happening in the, uh, what do we call it? Off topic banter segment after um you know what we're going to talk enough about hockey as it oh, is, so. you're 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 thinking about that woman the one who doesn't like hockey references yeah, her name's right. melanie hi melanie we'll con- maybe we'll uh, get her some hockey tickets later this year we'll like convert her maybe convert her into a fan i have i haven't maybe. been watching a lot of games but i have been seeing your uh like I can tell how the game is going based on like the tweets you send out, like whatever, whatever gif or meme you send out. I can tell the leaves are, are sucking it that night. I'm, I'm like the, uh, I'm like the worst fan ever because I'm like I've lost all tolerance for failure. <laughs> First two weeks and you're just jumping on them. 
So I, I got to do a podcast the other day, like on my other, my, my interview one. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I didn't think of this before, but I interviewed, I don't know if you saw the tweet, but a scotch expert, like a whiskey connoisseur. Oh no, I didn't see that. So there's this woman, her name's Jamie Johnson, and she is the brand ambassador for Glenfiddich. And I think before that, Balvenie. And uh, so I have to say, from a business perspective, this was pretty ingenious. So like, I have this idea, and I could, I'd met her like four or five years ago at a media training thing. And I said, would you be up for doing a podcast interview? And as part of it, we'll talk about whiskey and you know where is it from and scotch and single malt and this and that. And maybe we could incorporate like a tasting and she could talk about some notes and how this is different than that. Your eyes just lit up. <laughs> That's great. And so uh, we, we've been trying to do this for a couple of years. And then the pandemic hits. We're going to do it in person. And I'm like, ah, we're never getting out of this Zoom hellscape. So I asked her to send me a list of four bottles to pick up because obviously yeah, I want to I make sure I'm paying for these things. But it's a business write-off. I get to buy scotch. I think it's a business. We'll see what the CRA says, but I'm, I'm trying it. It's a business write-off. <laughs> and they can hear the, they can, they can hear the cork coming out on, like it's, it's there. But I thought, why did I not do this before? That's a great idea. And now and I have one right here. I'm drinking one of these. I'm going to try This oh, is going to be a new nice. thing. So I have like probably a good, like a shot and a half in a glass here. And as we go through the episode, if things kind of get, a, if I start slurring my words, just give me, well, just no give me the high five or whatever. Well, it's it, it's funny you say this because I, I was listening to that other podcast we listened to, and that guy David Sachs was talking about his plane. Oh yeah, and did you hear, did you hear yeah. this part? And and he's talking about his plane. He said he flew a bunch of people down someplace, and I guess he keeps talking this uh, expensive bourbon. Oh, on the plane, we talked about it on the podcast. Pappy Van Winkle, did we? Yeah, Pappy yeah. Van Winkle. <clears throat> and uh, when, he, when they got to the destinations, the people who were flying, he said, how much is this? This must be expensive to, to fly this plane. And he said, yeah, it costs, uh, this this flight we just took costs about $6,000 in jet fuel and about $8,000 in Pappy Van Winkle. <laughs> so do you know the story behind this stuff? Uh, no, but I looked it up and he can't, it's like hard okay, to get. So it's from Kentucky and it's this storied yeah. brand. And there was, there's actually, a, I think it's on Netflix, Netflix or Amazon Prime. I can't remember. They all blend in together. But there is a, a show about these famous heists. And one of them is because of how expensive this, and, and it's a very limited supply. So the scotch is in, or no, it's not scotch, it's bourbon. It's in very, um, very high demand. And so every year it sells out. And But people were stealing it. And they had this, these elaborate, schemes and I won't kind of give it away it's really good to watch but what's interesting is it's super 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 expensive in the states in Canada yeah, it's like $5,000 a yeah, bottle it's, it's about five grand or people sell it like there's a huge aftermarket for it too but in Canada there's a lottery system because because of the LCBO or whatever the provincial regulators are everything is regulated and so you get the price is the price and so this Jamie was telling me that her and her husband every year they put their names in for the lottery it's kind of like when you want to kill a moose or whatever. You got you put your name into a lottery. Except yeah. instead of killing a moose, you get to drink some some alcohol. Anyway, her husband won and I think they said that their bottle was 150 bucks. No. Yeah, cuz that's what the price is. And oh she said God. that if you tasted it, it's not it's not a $5,000 experience. She goes, "It's all supply and demand and marketing and mystique and the wow. heist and everything else. So he said, yeah, it's really good, but it's not worth $5,000 a bottle. I don't want to put words in her mouth, but that, that's what I took away from that. That's in effect. Well, interesting. I, I'm going to keep my eyes open. Okay. So <clears throat> just to bring everybody up to speed, 
we uh, we missed a couple of weeks, and that is because I forgot that we recorded an episode <laughs> and forgot to edit it. And so, you know, life gets in the way, and you got client stuff and kids and everything else. And I thought it was kind of out there, and so today I kind of like rattled it off, threw it up. So. Anyone who listens to episode 17, the references might seem a little stale. They were actually really relevant at the time, but so, but they're a couple weeks out of date. So this one we're recording, what's the date today? I'm just going to pressure myself to get this thing out early. It is October 29th. October 29th. So uh, here we go. Lots to talk about. And the first one on the docket is, and we, I think we talk about this company in almost every episode, Facebook, the company that everybody loves to hate yet the company that everybody has on their phone or their computer in one way, shape, or form. If you, have, if you haven't canceled it, your parents are on Facebook, you have Instagram, people are using WhatsApp, whatever. So they changed their name. I think the announcement came out yesterday to Meta, and they have that little symbol or whatever. And we haven't talked about any of this stuff, so I'm, I'd, I'd be really fascinated to know what is your take on their attempt at this rebrand for the corporate the name of the corporate structure that, that handles all these companies. Well, I think from a corporate standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. If only because the business is more than just the Facebook brand, right? It's, there's so many other aspects that they were involved in virtual reality and, you know, all all kinds of different things. Even, and, and, um, and then of course with, from a, I think public affairs standpoint, it makes a lot of sense as well because, you know, the Facebook name is a bit toxic. And so, you know, disassociating the corporation as much from it, uh, even just on paper, uh, makes makes sense. Um, you know, Google did this a number of years ago, but ten years ago maybe, where they rebranded the the corporation as Alphabet, and this is in the same vein. Now, it, I guess you then ask yourself, does it make a difference? Right? Is it gonna is it gonna change anything materially? <clears throat> it it might from an investor standpoint. I don't know if it actually does from a regulatory standpoint or from a corporate brand standpoint. Mm. What, what, what did you think? It's the, I saw a bit of the little video. I don't know if you saw that with him and there's a little, the little avatar version of himself. And they had this corporate video where he's, Hey, you take our mission very seriously. And we're, you know, I can't do it. It sounds more like Kermit the frog, but like he had this, this kind of, He's just, he's very unnatural, and uh, I don't think his delivery helps. Like, he, he's never been able to do a proper media interview, and the problems changed over the years. Early, you know, when he was a kid and had just started Facebook, he was red-faced, sweating, panicking on 60 Minutes, and now it's just, like, he comes across as um, some sort of robot. Like, I've heard stories that they put this, these layers of makeup on his face so that his face doesn't appear red, and people are like putting all this powder on him so he doesn't sweat through his shirts, but there's something, something there. Anyway, um, the name they I I saw a tweet yesterday that they did the whole rebrand internally. And I've saw, I've seen a lot of comments of people like, yeah, no kidding. So like they didn't have an agency, they didn't pay $2 million for this big rebrand. They came up with it and all the graphics and the, the images and everything else they came up with on their own. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of people making fun of it, trolling it. Uh, from I, I can see from a corporate standpoint how it makes sense, but this is such a hated company right now uh, for so many reasons. The biggest thing to me is like why they're not really addressing the elephant in the room, which is all of these operational issues and the 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 disruptions and the the fueling hatred and teeing up content that 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 angers people and the divisiveness and 
the, the allegations of facilitating human trafficking in different countries and, uh, you know, the whole Instagram for kids and then Facebook, you know, they have the whistleblower thing and they come out and instead of being contrite, they attack the, the mainstream media and they're attacking the government. And so having addressed none of that, they just, it seemed to me they handled the rebrand as if everything's going fine, nothing to see here. And that typically doesn't work for companies when there's a huge, I don't know, first of all, would you agree? Because you've been very contrary in the last couple of weeks, which is, is interesting. It's all probably good for, for, for the listeners. But would you agree that this is a company that has a broken soul? It certainly has problems. Like they, <clears throat> when you look at all the stuff that's coming out, I think that the whistleblower came out between our last episode and this one. I can't remember her name off the top Francis of my head, but something. Yeah, and so she, you know, had she brought the documents, right? It was it wasn't like she was just um, uh, telling tales. And it, it's clear the company has major issues with the Facebook product. Like it, it does all the things you just described, <clears throat> but. Uh, fundamentally they have to do better when it comes to the things that are identified, like, you know, the, the way they're contributing to um, negatively to the mental health of teens. And, you know, as you point, point out creating division and, and allowing their platform to be one that shares content that isn't, um, isn't great for society. Like they've, they've got to, they got to fix those things for sure. And, but, but at the same time, you see it's a company that sees itself from a regulatory standpoint is in the crosshairs of, of politicians. And I think they're, they're probably more motivated at how do I manage my regulatory risk and protect the, the, the cash cow that is the, is Facebook uh, advertising, I guess Instagram too, the Facebook Instagram advertising engine so that um, this business doesn't, doesn't get injured more than it already has been. So it's, it's, you know, it, it, there's a inherent conflict in there, right? Because if they totally fix the one, it can screw up the other. And so ultimately what you, they say actions speak louder than words they said a lot of the right words and it was a very motivational sort of inspirational overview. Very, it looked like something out of a movie. I have to say it looked like something out of, you know, when you see RoboCop and they had the little the yeah. demonstrations and it looked like, you know, 20, 30 years and it looked like something like that. It looked creepy and, and artificial to me. It did. And I'm yeah, like, that's, totally. that's not the right. Like it seems like there's no one in there to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, Hey, cool. it's not cool. It like, this is not, it seems like there's a bunch of people telling everyone what they want to hear because there is a waterfall, like a Niagara Falls of money just shooting into that company. And so there's an incentive for everybody to just keep things going. And so, you know, my original comment, actions speak louder than words. They're saying a lot of the right things, but in terms of what they're doing, that doesn't seem cool. Like, do you think that this is a company that is going to be forcibly broken up at some point because of their mishandling of these issues? I think I think it not because of its handling its issues. I think it actually will be broken up because it has too much dominance across platforms. When you look at the the, the influence it has between WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook, yeah, I could I completely see the company getting broken up down the cleavage of uh, WhatsApp and Instagram, and Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. It, it just from an antitrust standpoint. Because, because for sure, it's stifling innovation in the industry. 
you know, it's just, I can't think there's any way you can say it, it isn't. Oh, well, they just steal features. They, they'll either buy your company yeah. or they'll just steal it, as we saw with Snapchat. And yeah. they, t- they turn entire companies into features overnight. They're just ruthless that way. Um, yeah. I, 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 would, I would think that, I think you're absolutely right. I think that is their, their secret sauce is the, the interconnectivity of all the different, because they will take um, your text content from WhatsApp, cross-market that through other platforms, and that's where there's a lot of value in there. Like I thought the gangster move would have been split up the companies preemptively Instagram over here with a CEO, WhatsApp over here with a CEO, Facebook over here with a CEO. But then you, you might keep the regulators at bay, but then you lose all of that connectedness yeah. and that the huge profitability and like the data that everybody's been giving away to them for years. So it's uh, yeah. what do you think of the logo? Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not a designer, Whatever. but like, like uh, me either, but it's uh, it was it, it nothing to write home about. I think that's the thing they want to be boring. I think I think Meta is supposed to be boring. I think it's supposed to be uh, what you, you call it uninteresting. Meta, 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 Meta. Yeah, okay, like Beta, Meta. See, <laughs> see Zuckerberg, Meta. What you've done. <clears throat> I thought it was Meta. Maybe it is Meta. Okay, I don't know. Like, it doesn't matter. There, but the, the the symbol, if you haven't seen it, it looks like the infinity symbol on meth. That's how I would describe it. Again, I'm not a designer. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. It looks like that. <laughs> but like they just every week, there's a new there's a new story about this company. And uh, well, and this is this is this. I think that's what they're trying to do, right? So that when he when he goes and testifies to Congress, he can sit there and say, Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Meta, and he and he then he he can talk about. You can broaden the broaden the discussion away from Facebook, and Facebook doesn't have to be constantly the thing in the window necessarily. It's it's a and like it is a long shot that this will make a material difference when it comes to the regulatory side. But go back a second. You talked about the video they produced. Who was that video produced for? Right? Is that video going to be watched by the mass market? Absolutely not. Is it going to be watched by? Um, by the regulators, maybe some of them. I think the video was produced for the uh, investor class because it was really focused at showing how Facebook is larger than this than just the one thing that is Facebook. And here's all how all these pieces of the business fit together, and and they profiled all these other aspects of Meta's business that don't often get the spotlight. And showed the opportunity for growth in those areas. So I think, I think it's it's totally a play for the the long run when it comes to the company's future growth, because it may be impacted by, um, by regulatory action. So the name of the show is Reputation Town. How do you think the reputation of the company and of the founder has been impacted? Is it net? Is it like just? It, does it does it kind of net out equal? Do you think it's improved in the last week, or do you think it's gone down? I think it's it's on a steady sort of decline, and I think this was a, a long term move that we won't know how it affects the company for a while. Mm. What, what what did you think? I I would tend to agree. I think these things are seen best when you kind of pull the camera back and look at it over years. It's hard to tell week to week. Like you know, they made the announcement yesterday, and the stock went up like seven or eight bucks. I think when at the time that I had looked, um, and they're approaching a trillion dollar market cap valuation for the company so i don't know it's uh 
the thing that, that no one is discussing is like, I wonder, and, I, and you're, you're more of a tech guy than me, but you look at the age of the average user of Facebook has been like, my dad's on there all the time, right? That should tell it like my dad's 77. And if that, and, and I rarely, I, I think I might've put two posts on there in the past 12 months. And now I will go on Facebook marketplace. There's some cool, like look at guitars and stuff like that in the neighborhood. That's kind of cool. But like, I wonder if they, they probably have a really good sense internally, like F- Facebook, the money machine might like the life cycle of that thing might be winding down. If you look at what's coming with the decentralized internet and all of those things, we're looking at, you know, these monoliths may be put out to pasture and, you know, who knows how many years that's going to take, but maybe this is an attempt to kind of like almost come up with a new brand for what's coming next. And as you know, it's hard to imagine a world without Facebook, but I don't know, these things happen quickly. Think of MySpace. Well, to your, to your point, they, he talked about how they have to focus on a younger audience than the one using Facebook right now. And, yeah, you're kind of right. Like I, I Facebook is kind of like a drive-by, um, yeah, experience for me because I only basically see it as I'm logging in to go to the f- Facebook ad manager, mm-hmm. right? Or when you're for your clients running campaigns. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like wanting a younger audience, you know, needing to get a younger <clears throat> audience. Who's that sound like to you? It, uh, an old guy. <laughs> but if you th- <laughs> if you think back to like. 50 years ago, who was saying we need to get the kids? The cigarette industry. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think, I think there's a good analogy there. Facebook is like cigarettes for your brain. <laughs> That's maybe whoop, take two. That was, <laughs> but it's not good. It's not good. Okay. I think we've kind of exhausted that. Why don't we now talk about the, the butt dial that has started um, a Canadian, battle uh, boardroom battle with rogers i didn't know it was a butt dial at first until i heard that the other day that edward rogers accidentally dialed the ceo while he was talking about how he wanted to replace the ceo with the cfo i think it was actually the cfo who accidentally made the butt dial oh was it cfo butt dialed the president and was talking to the lawyer about ousting him Oh, okay. I just went through an hour ago and I was kind of ready because it, it, it is like a like a web of, of who's who. But um, this is this is not your average friendly Mr. Rogers. So, yeah. And, and, and Ed Rogers, Edward Rogers has been um, if, you, if you're not familiar with the story, you should you should you should Google it and give it a quick look. This has been in the past week or so. And in Canada, there's not uh, the, the cellular phone bills here are I think they're the highest in the world, if not among the highest among them. And uh, these companies are just making exorbitant amounts of money. And so Rogers is one of these large companies. Ted Rogers founded it, died. I don't even within the past 10 years or so. And so there's this just a shit show in the boardroom where there's a rift between the family and the mother and two sisters fired Edward as the chair. And he tried to reconstitute the board in court. And the interesting thing is, well, there's a bunch, but like they're trying to do this $26 billion takeover of Shaw. And some people are speculating now that all of this nonsense might be putting that, that deal in jeopardy. So reputation wise, uh, and yeah, you've got Martha Rogers, who I, I don't know if you've seen her on Twitter. She's, she's mm-hmm. great. I had no idea who she is. And she sounds like someone who'd be fun to hang out with 
for a night and just have a couple of beverages. But uh, <laughs> she's like tweeting the crisis management firm. Hope you go boys are up for a busy day at navigator and stuff like that. So reputation wise, what do you think is going on here? Why, why can they not get this stuff sorted out? Well, so I think there's a couple of things to, to think about. And this, the interesting, uh, the other interesting thing about this company is, so it's publicly traded and there's two, two uh, classes of shares. Mm-hmm. There's class A and class B shares. Class A shares have voting rights. Class B shares have none. Class A shares are 98% owned by the Rogers Family Trust. So essentially, the Rogers Family controls the company and, in effect, the board of directors of the company and the wishes of every shareholder, millions of shareholders, are on the class B shares. They don't really count for anything because at the end of the day, as like what happened in this case, if the family trust decides something, then that's what's going to happen. So the idea that this is like independent corporate, corporate governance is a bit of a, bit of a facade. And, and this is why, um, uh, you know, even though there's a struggle here, the struggle is between members on the, uh, of the family and this family trust and and caught in the crossfire are all the employees, the reputation of the company, um, the shareholders of the company, and and from a from a reputation standpoint, it's a real, real, real disaster. Like from like how many I haven't looked at the stock price lately, but this is not going to build confidence in investors to get into the company when they see the way that um, uh, the the family, you know, the chair of the family trust is acting. Because it doesn't seem like it's in the interest of shareholders. The stock price is down. So, and then so so reputation wise, it's a real challenge, and it also it's also a real challenge because you know as you point out, they're trying to do that deal acquiring Shaw, and there's a regulatory approvals process that they have to go through for that, and your reputation matters when you go through a regulatory approvals process, and the stability of the company I think will matter. So. And this is long lasting too, because the fact that the fact that the actions that have been taken have kind of ripped away the idea that you know there is some sort of independent governance within the company that like you're not putting that back like that's going to be exposed for good now. And I can't see the I can't see the family running to you know change the the share structure of the company so that they're give, they give voting rights to other people. Anyway, I, you know, if I'm the company, let's just think about it from the company standpoint, you're in a real pickle because you can't control what the family's going to do. You can, you can try and communicate and shape stuff, but you're, it's a noisy, extremely noisy atmosphere. So anything you say is going to be either undercut by one party or the other. It's, this is not a, a an easy thing, a place to be. Uh. So the stock price was $61.26 on Wednesday, October 20th, and today it closed at 57.75. Well, just a couple, I guess it's the market's not quite closed out when we're recording this. And Shaw is also down, the company they're trying to take over. And so you're seeing that leakage and you know this you know people think you think your family's dysfunctional. Look at this. You know, you have these billionaires who can't get organized and we're talking about massive salaries. Like I think the CFO, the guy, uh, what's his name, uh, Tony Staffieri, he's the one who made the uh, the inadvertent pocket dial, and he left the company a couple days later because of the fallout. 
the CEO is still there. So those plans were kind of uh, kibosh. But now what, what, you know, how, how awkward is that relationship? And there's essentially mm-hmm. two, the family's trying to have two boards uh, installed. So it's really, really, really weird. And, uh, and, and such preventable stuff. But I have to say that I think if it wasn't for the pocket dial, none of this would have happened. You know, they would have had the meeting, the person would be would terminated. We never would have heard about it. But that little, mm-hmm. that little piece, and it's not, you know, you've heard of stories like this before, right? Um, did I tell you about the one where my sister got pocket dialed by the, the, the PR woman for uh, Maple Leaf Foods? No. <laughs> <laughs> did I not tell you this? I don't think so. So I, I've mentioned this at, at conferences and stuff before, but uh, there was, um, this is maybe like a decade ago. And, and now Maple Leaf Foods is, is, is held up as this example of amazing public relations because of the way they handled the, uh, the listeria, listeriosis crisis in 2008. Anyway, so and anyone who doesn't know, my sister, uh, one of my sisters, I have three, is a, a health reporter at the Globe and Mail in, uh, in Toronto. And she was working on a story about, I think Maple Leaf Foods had just announced a new, like, uh, quote-unquote, healthy hot dog, if there's an oxymoron in there. So it was one of these ones, like, you might remember the commercial. It looks like the guy from Little House in the Prairie with the big handlebar mustache, and it's all kind of black and white, and all these new natural ingredients in these hot dogs are like, you know, because typically we think of them as just like poison meat tubes. And so these ones are supposed to be marketed as healthy. And so Carly is, uh, that's my sister's name. She's thinking like, what the, you know, what's going on with this? And so she it gets asked to call the company and, uh, and, and, and do an interview about this. And so she's one of those, you know, I might be biased, but I think she's one of those health reporters when, when you get a phone call from her and you're the communications person for a company, like you're, you're not having a good day suddenly, right? Like you're just like, oh, now we got to deal with this. And she asks, asks really good questions. Anyway, so she leaves a series of messages emails, voicemails for um, the public relations person there and no response. And you would think again, you know, like everyone think Maple Leaf Foods, what a great company, really great communications. Anyway, so she goes out to lunch and then later in the day she comes back and I think I'm getting the, the structure and the order of this right, but she comes back and she has a little voicemail on her desk phones, like blink, blink, you know, the little blinky light you used to have, checks her voicemail mm-hmm. and it's, it just starts, it's a conversation. She's like eavesdropping on a conversation, but the person called her, the, the call went to voicemail. And so uh, the woman from the company was talking about my sister saying, oh, I keep getting messages from her. And like, if she thinks I'm calling her back, I think she, I think she called her a bitch <laughs> during the thing. And they're laughing. They're having a good old time about this. And uh, <laughs> she calls me up and tells me the story. He's like, what do I do with this? Now, to, to her credit, she didn't do anything with it. She didn't make it public. I think a lot of people would tweet it out and cancel this and that. And it's just, these things happen, but it's, it's embarrassing. And, uh, you know, that one was uh, minor in nature. I'm sure there have been more major ones. I've had a pr- pretty bad butt call in my life from someone, but we won't get into that today. But uh, the, the one with Rogers has billion-dollar concert. You're smiling. <laughs> you know the backstory, But... The, uh, the one with Rogers, billion-dollar consequences, and people are making com- comparisons to the, the show Succession. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, get your shit together, Rogers. I, I, you know, <clears throat> it, absolutely. And the family just, I think, has to, well, anyway. I, I don't know what the family has to do. Ted Rogers is but spinning from, in his from grave From a reputation right standpoint, what's Ted that? Ted Rogers is spinning in his grave right now. Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. But the best thing, the best thing for everyone is to... You know, find some sort of resolution 
so that um, so that uh, they can get back to back to normal. But this, what this really is, is it's effectively still a, a privately owned business, even though the pub, there's a, a large public float because of this dual share structure. And it, the, these kind of dual share structures have been heavily criticized in the past for in, with other businesses. And they've kind of fallen out of favor in Canada, um, but they still exist in, from place to place. I think Facebook actually has a, back to Facebook, they have a dual share structure where he can't be fired. Zuckerberg has multiple voting shares yeah. to, you know, to be around forever as a founder owner can continue yeah. controlling things. Man. Okay. Have we exhausted that? For now, I think there's maybe oh, still yeah. more to t- tell about that story. I'm going to predict the merger is or the takeover is as I rejected. It's a good prediction. Oh, 50 50, I guess. So, Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's risk cancellation talking about the, the, uh, the volatile Dave Chappelle. So, have you seen the new special, The Closer? I, I've been meaning to watch it, but I have not seen it. Oh, my God. So, this should be. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll keep that in mind. But I, but I've I've been reading a lot about what I'm more interested in is how how Netflix has been dealing with this internally, and that's why I thought it was impo- kind of interesting yeah. to talk about from a reputation standpoint because of that. But anyway, go ahead. You've, you know, it would actually seen it. be interesting that the fact that you haven't watched it, the seeing all the stuff take place and watching what the messaging in the media and Netflix and the LGBTQ community and everything, it'll be interesting once you watch it to put it kind of in context after the fact, I think that'll mm-hmm, be interesting. Mm-hmm. So there's been obviously a huge backlash to um, the, there's allegations of transphobia in his, in his special. And I, I have watched, I've watched all the specials. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think the world needs people like Dave Chappelle to, there's very few jobs where you can actually, get up and push those boundaries. Like you think of George Carlin or Richard Pryor or Lenny Bruce or something like that. Um, Having watched it and maybe I'm missing something. I didn't hear an unkind word. You know, the guy, the guy tells jokes, but it sounded to me and he tells this really, I'm not going to, I don't want to spoil it for you, but he tells this story about this, this friend of his who was trans or someone who became an acquaintance and then a friend. And it's a really, uh, emotional and kind of troubling story and you know anyone who's watched it will will know and if you haven't obviously don't want to spoil it for you but um there have been you know there was the the walkout at netflix head office was it like last week or two weeks ago and you know how do, you know how do you even stage a walkout when people are working from home that's the logistics of that are kind of difficult and i guess dave Chappelle responded to the, the the backlash with a with a video from one of his shows they posted this five minute video and he he doesn't you know he doesn't back down from his his statements he's saying you know his intentions are he says yeah, I'm not talking about the trans community I'm talking about this woke cancel culture mob who are just going around and and it's interesting to hear from him because this is a guy who like can you even cancel a Dave Chappelle like he, you know, he's talked yeah. about his, he has this new documentary coming out and it was supposed to be going to all these uh, film festivals and he's supposed to be lined up with all these meetings. And now everyone's like, just not touching him at all. So to an extent it has had some sort of impact, but here's a guy who's made, you know, probably hundreds of millions of dollars through his career. So financially he's not going to be, you know, he's going to be fine. But in terms of reputation, like, you know, if you look at what happened to Ro- Roseanne Barr, 
Um, mm-hmm. And just, you know, so you have these, these, these examples of someone says something in a, in a moment or they say the wrong thing or they tweet the wrong thing. And then they're just like, the world just comes down on them. And then we move along to the next one. I found it interesting. I was looking trying to do some research on this to speak about it from a couple different angles. And I, did, did you see the tweet from Caitlyn Jenner? Did you see the comment? No, no I didn't see so that. So Caitlyn Jenner says, and this is verbatim quote from, I think it was on Twitter, might have been Instagram. Dave Chappelle is 100% right. This isn't about the LGBTQ movement. It's about woke cancel culture run amok trying to silence free speech. We must never yield or bow to those who wish to stop us from speaking our minds. And that's from Caitlyn Jenner. And so I'm like, that, that, that's very interesting. Now, the, the co-CEO of Netflix, um, you were referring to, the, to how Netflix handled the, the initial controversy. Do you, want, do you want to give some context on that or your thoughts on that? Well, basically, you know, they push they push back against the this faction of employees who is um, saying that this content was harmful, and in fact, they sent in a memo to staff, and you know, they say to people, "We know that a number of you have felt been left angry, disappointed, and hurt by our decision to put Dave Chappelle's latest special on Netflix." Um, and then he go on to say uh, further in the note, uh, in his special, Chappelle makes harsh jokes about many different groups, which is his style and a reason his fans love his comedy and commentary. Stand-up comedians often expose issues that are uncomfortable because the art by nature is a highly provocative one. As a leadership team, we do not believe that the closer is intended to incite hatred or violence against anyone. And so they, this is why they're, they're leaving it on. And, I, th- I thought it was actually great because this is, you know, I think we've talked a few times about social issues when they erupt in the workplace and or erupt in society and the work and and spill over into the workplace and then uh, managers owners are left to decide, you know, how do we manage this? And in this case, they managed it by saying, you know what, we looked at it and we don't agree with you. We think this is content is okay and we're going to keep it up. And I thought that was sort of well reasoned the way they did it. Uh, there was a number of employees who were disciplined, but I think it's because they actually broke into a management meeting or something yeah. to protest it, in effect, you know, tr- trespassed. Uh, and you can't do that. Like, you know, no, if, that's just inappropriate behavior. Like if we did that at our doesn't jobs, matter what like the topic if I'm working is. at the bank and I do that, they're, I'm getting escorted out of the building. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, uh, so I thought it was great the way they handled it. Um, you know, it wasn't like the, because this was a sensitive topic, we all of a sudden had to back the people who were upset. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, it wasn't about just, you know, cancel culture says, says something and we got to fall in line. But, you know, the, I wonder though, you know, they, they, Netflix had made a $60 million investment in Chappelle for three specials. So 20 million, a special. And you have to, you have to wonder with, you know, they, they, they're doing this on principle, or at least they say they're doing it on principle. But there's also the, the issue that they're protecting their investment. Because if they remove the content, then that, that affects the money they've invested in it. And I wonder if, it, you know, this is something they would do for a lesser known personality. Mm. I thought he had um, six. I thought he had six specials with Netflix. Was it six? Okay, I think sorry. so. I thought it was Three, but, but regardless, <clears throat> it's it's the idea is it is it is it about the investment or is it is it about the principle? It could be it could be about both, right? Like if, yeah. if you if you think if they bow to if they bow to that and take it off the air, then who's next? And then who's next? And then who, like there's mm-hmm. so much content on there, they would spend half their day just 
getting rid of content. And so the one thing that the the co-CEO, I think is Ted Sarandos, I think that's how you say his name, the one thing that he did walk back from his initial statement, and it's interesting how people will have these like long interviews, and again, we come back to media training, right? And he said this one thing within the the first uh, the first statement or positioning on that. He said, content doesn't directly translate to real world harm. That was his statement. And he basically said, look, look how violent you know, John Wick and movies, uh, look how violent everything is, but you know, we ha- we don't see that translate into the real world. And I think that is from a logical standpoint, I think that's kind of a flawed argument because he's basically saying that, that, um, transphobic content won't result in harm to trans people. And I don't think you can make that statement. Like I, you know, I think that's, that's a little bit much. And he did back, back up on those statements and when he did, like, he basically said, look, no, we, we, I still stand by it. We're still going to keep it up. We still believe in it and him and everything else. But I want to take that statement back. And then you see members of the media say, oh, Netflix guy flip-flopped and he, he, he apologized. <laughs> he took it back. And it just, that's one of the things that I really, and, and you know, this, I'm going to sound like the old grumpy Muppet again, but like in journalism school, they told us be objective, as objective as you can, you know, as human beings, be mm-hmm. obje- as objective as you can, tell both sides of the story, take your ego out of it. And I'm seeing so much of it these days where the quote unquote journalists and they're basically, you know, celebrity like influencers, right. And clickbait and everything else. And they're writing these stories where they're injecting themselves into the narrative and they're, they're, they're making, they're making um, subjective opinions based on these things. Like I saw one woman, I forget her name, but she wrote a story about this basically saying, um, no, it's not about cancel culture because cancel culture doesn't exist. And I'm like, really? Because we're seeing at least one person a day get their career <laughs> the destroyed. And uh, so it's, it, it's, it'd be interesting to see once you've seen the thing. I'd like to get your, your thoughts on that because I watched it. And again, I don't, you know, I'm not trans. I don't know what, it, what, it, what it's like to be um, in, that, in, that, in that reality or in that mindset. And so I, mean, I try to be as, as empathetic as I can. But like the guy's a stand-up a comedian and I didn't, I was looking for anything offensive or mean and I personally didn't see it. And it, it, the, uh, the intention to me and nothing he says is by accident. It seemed to me to be, um, he was trying to make a larger statement about humanity and you know, that's, that's, that's my take on it. So it would be interesting to see what happens. Like there's, there are some people speculating that he might do again, what he did before. You remember when he had the Chappelle show and then he just bolted. He had this huge $50 million or $60 million deal, and he just walked away from it. So he might, you know, mm. can't, kind of cancel himself. Anyway, where, where do you think this who knows, goes? Who knows? Well, like, what do you, you know, it's, it's it, it, as a, from a reputational standpoint, again, you try to stay to the focus of the show. Do you think his reputation has been harmed across the board by this controversy, or has it actually, in a, in a strange way, kind of helped? You know, the polarizing controversial media coverage might actually you know, give the, give, give it free publicity. Well, I think it's, I think it's definitely done that. And I think it's probably going to increase his standing amongst his fans. Not, not that his fans are think, Oh, because I, I hear it's something that he was being intolerant that I want to hear it. But I think, um, his fans are supportive of him for the exact reason you just pointed out. Mm. And I could totally see them, you know, turning to this as a result. And from Netflix's standpoint for, as a company, I have to I have to imagine like this is a this is a minority of staff who had this opinion. And I think they've tried to uh, address the concerns that small group had in a respectful way. And I think, you know, the company itself will 
move through this and you know to your point there's content like this for different reasons that are that's someone's going to find objectionable mm-hmm. because maybe it's maybe it's too explicit or who knows what right the, for the different bits of content. But I think that uh, they're going to come out of this uh, fine. This is going to be a, a bit of a tempest in a teapot. And, you know, a few weeks from now, people are going to forget about this was even a thing in the news. Mm. The last one that we wanted to talk about today is probably the most, uh, probably the most high profile one, certainly in Canada. And it is in the, the hockey realm, but it's the situation with uh, Kyle Beach. Do you want to give a little overview? Uh, I can't imagine that that anyone, certainly in Canada, hasn't heard about the story in the past uh, couple of days. It's it's rocked the the hockey world. But do you want to just give us a quick overview, and and then just dive into uh, sure. some of the reputational uh, angles on this? Sure. So, and jump in if you think I've got something off here or I'm missing an important point. But basically, uh, Kyle Beach, which who was previous to this only known as John Doe number one as part of a lawsuit uh, involving the Chicago Blackhawks did an interview with um, uh, Rick Westhead, Rick Westhead. Thank you. uh, On TSN and came out and identified himself as the victim of a sexual assault and the, and the perpetrator of that assault or I guess alleged, but I think it's pretty clear who it was. It was a uh, video He's a video coach, right, for the Chicago Blackhawks mm-hmm. uh, by the last name Aldrich, and um, he so he was uh, assaulted. This player was assaulted. He informed people on the team that he was assaulted by um, this coach, and what became clear is that it, it got widely discussed not only amongst the staff but amongst the other players. And nothing was done um, it, to the point where I, I, the, the coach at the time, um, Joel Quenville, said, or was reported to have said that uh, they, they didn't want to do anything because they didn't want to mess up their playoff run because it would be distracting. And um, he, a player even went to the NHL Players Association support yeah. Uh, service yeah. and a doctor he spoke to there. It said, uh, uh, Beach said he, the doctor made him feel like it was his fault that he was assaulted. Uh, that somehow that you know the victim was to blame here, mm-hmm. and then nothing, nothing happened. Nothing was, nothing was elevated. And nothing was done. So all in all, what you've got is like n- just straight up uh, criminal activity that occurred within the the walls of the the team and everyone looked the other way and not only that i think it there's a there's a fair um bit of um credible um reporting to show that the, the it was widely known amongst the players and some of the players even ridiculed him um as a, uh, even though he was the victim in this case so it's it's just like a disgusting uh, you know set of behaviors all around. Um, and so from a reputation standpoint, you know, the team itself obviously is, is wearing this, these individuals who are part of the management team are wearing this. And I think the players have a huge, uh, black mark on them. 
In particular, I wanted to just zero in on a few things before we do that. I don't know what what, what was your reaction? Didn't do you think I got that right? For sure, you nailed it. And it, it's it's a it's a. I watched the most of the interview just in, in preparation for our show. Did have you seen the one the the actual video interview with Rick Westhead? Parts of it, yeah. It's it's difficult to watch. Like you're you. This is a broken guy, and this is from over a decade ago. And you like he's partly relieved, sad, angry, but like this. The tra- trajectory of this young man's life, and 20 years old, like he's a child, the the direction that his life went in changed dramatically because of that incident, and he's like a broken guy, and you know you you can't help but feel just terribly for him. And having yeah, I think yesterday it took him 11 years, or basically a third of his life, for for anyone to kind of say, "We hear you." Like, yes, they're, they were to, or he was to blame. The, the club was to blame. You didn't do anything wrong. Um, it's interesting to watch the, uh, and I think we're going to get into some of the statements and the, the positioning and the apologies. You're talking about some big names in the hockey world. Like you're seeing names like Bowman, Quenville, like you're seeing some, some historical hot, like we've already seen a couple drop off. Uh, and I, we can jump into the details of this and I want to, I want to hear cause you sent a link of some of the apologies and the statements. They're very interesting to look at the wording of those and who sent them and what, like who knew what, when, and what are they saying now a decade later? It's really fascinating. There's a lot of Weasley stuff going on, but I will make a prediction that, you know, we saw John Gruden, the, the coach from the NFL who got canned from the Raiders position because of the, the racist emails that he had sent out you're seeing this uh, sexual assault from the Chicago Blackhawks from over a decade ago. This, these are the first few dominoes. I think they're this. Remember what would happen with Me Too and you know Harvey Weinstein and all these guys. This, this is going to make that look like nothing. If you think of like just the the locker room culture of all these teams and all these sports and all these countries, I think the music industry is up next. If you think of the stories and the roadies and like picking that one out, bring them back. Like I just, and everybody now is realizing they have a voice. They have a story they can. And I just, I think that the, the, the day of reckoning the the next up on deck seems to be professional sports. And I think when, when people who have been victimized, see a story like this, it empowers them to come forward as well. I think you were going to see a ton of stories like this. in then in the months and years to come, I hope so. You'd be quite quite right if uh, to, to for that to happen. Well, how many executives uh, are are thinking about what what was that email I sent in two thousand and eight? You know, yeah. like yeah, and well, and uh, you know, I think to some extent, the big difference, and I think Weinstein's a great an, an analog for this because, like, this is a, this is a criminal activity. It wasn't it wasn't someone who created like you know, a hostile work environment or, you know, was said something racist. This was straight up criminal activity. And the team was informed and other people informed, like they had a duty to do something to call the police, you know, take substantive action to deal with this. And and they they didn't do anything. So um, what I think will be interesting to see is, you know, some of these, some of these things some of the dominoes that have started falling, like for example, Joe Quenville, who is now coach of the Florida Panthers. 
Not anymore. You know, had a meeting with the NHL and, you know, he's, he's had the, you know, probably either resign or you're fired mm-hmm. discussion. And he resigned. He's done. He'll never work again as a coach. <clears throat> no. Not in the no, NHL. For sure. Not in the NHL. But, but you know what? Like, I wonder some of these players who were there and, and heard about it, knew about it, and then didn't do anything or even made fun of Beach um, for being assaulted. You know, what's going to happen to them? Like, I, I suspect maybe some, in some cases the decision is too hard for, for a lot of teams. Then they're, they're going to, you know, do some gymnastics to, um, uh, make it make it okay for them to not do anything, um, like we, like we have seen before. But maybe, maybe we can like one of the ones I wanted to jump to was um, Duncan Keith. So Duncan Keith was a defenseman on the Blackhawks. I'm not sure he's the sharpest uh, knife in the drawer, but he's a hockey player. Um, yeah, <laughs> but he was asked about this and. Um, he said, the question was, should, should what happened taint or change how people view the 2010 championship? So the Blackhawks ended up winning the Stanley Cup in that year, that same year this happened. And his response was, quote, that's a tough question. It's obviously serious allegations and it's serious what happened. And then he pivots. But at the same time, it was a special group of players in that room that battled and competed and deserved the championship. In that sense, for me, it's tough to see that. I guess people have to form their own thoughts and opinions on it. To me, it's a championship team and it's a special group of players to be part of, which is like textbook basically saying, I don't really give a shit about <laughs> that stuff. I'm just, I'm going to just focus on what I want to focus on, which was we won and that's awesome. And, and this is like entirely the wrong thing to do. And if I'm the, like, it, it, it speaks to me like, okay, so what do you know at the time? You know, um, I think he was quite evasive. I think a lot of these guys are oh, straight up just not telling the truth when they say they didn't know because there's others, other players are saying, Oh yeah, it was pretty widely known. And, and, um, you know, I don't know if there's, I'm not really sure if there's it's possible to do a criminal investigation at this point, 10 years after the fact, but, mm. um, this, there, there may be more that comes from this, but when I read that kind of, when that kind of stuff, it, it makes me think, all right, if I'm the Edmonton Oilers where this guy's playing now, mm. it makes it really uncomfortable for, for my organization yeah. to have a player like this who did who was in that environment who's reacting like this. Yeah, and th- this is one story, and it's a and it's it's a dramatic and terrible one, but the it's interesting to watch what has happened just in the last couple of days. So Stan Bowman, the GM of the Blackhawks in 2010, when it happened, has resigned. Um, I believe that there was another executive... Um, Maybe like his next uh, person down has also resigned. Joe Quenville, Quenville has resigned. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see the the next steps. You know, the one the one that I found really interesting in, in the in the statements he sent through was from Donald Fear, the guy from the union, because <clears throat> Kyle Beach says that in you know he was going to different people trying to tell them what happened, and everyone was basically blowing him off. And one of the places he went to was the players' union. You think if anybody's going to have a player's back, it's going to be the union. And he put it squarely on the shoulders of Donald Fear. And you hear his name. He's the guy when they're always doing the hockey strikes and the back and forth and him and Gary Bettman. And uh, apparently he completely ignored the situation. And he sent out... Do you have his statement at the... I do, yeah. Do you want to go through it? Yeah, so uh, I think it was a great statement. He says, Kyle Beach has been through a horrific experience and has shown true courage in telling his story. 
There's no doubt that the system failed to support him in his time of need, and we are part of that system. In his media interview, Mr. Beach stated that several months after the incident, he told someone at the NHLPA the details of what happened to him. He's referring to one of the program doctors with the Player Assistance Program. While the program is confidential, the grave nature of this incident should have resulted in further action on our part. The fact that it did not was a serious failure. I'm truly sorry, and I'm committed to making changes to ensure it does not happen again. Like This is, I think, t- textbook how you want to deal with it. Like he's taking ownership of it. He's apologizing and he's saying this shit is not going to happen again. I'm going to fix this. And if I'm reading this, it actually makes me feel optimistic that someone is going to, there's going to be, there's going to be positive change that comes from it. You know, it's, it's, I, I haven't seen as definitive, uh, a statement, um, otherwise from some of the corporate entities, other than to say, I note that the Chicago Blackhawks are no longer, trying to defend against the lawsuit that Kyle Beach and one other individual who's yet to be named have against the Blackhawks. And I've <clears> talked about how, to, how or they're saying they're working to settle those lawsuits. I saw, I saw Donald fears comments as a little more Weasley than that. Did no, you? It, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a well-written statement, but I guess if there's, there's, there's backstory, like I was reading a Boston globe article um, by a guy named uh, what's his name, Kevin Paul DuPont. And it says mm-hmm. in there, I'm quoting from the article, in another stunning revelation, Beach said the NHL Players Association, headed by executive director Don Fear, ignored his claims against Aldridge. He was particularly pointed in his criticism of Fear, who took over the NHLPA in the aftermath of a player coup that ousted Boston attorney Paul Kelly as union boss in 2009. And this is a quote from Beach. Quote, for him to turn his back on the players when his one job is to protect the players at all costs, I don't know how that can be your leader, uh, said Beach. He's supposed to have the players' backs, and they definitely didn't have mine. And so the article goes on. It reads the statement that you uh, just read out, and it says, um, uh, talking about the systemic failure to support Beach. Note, and this is from the article. Notice the critical nuance. Beach put it right on Fear's nose, as he should, and Fear in turn pointed to the system as being culpable another leadership fail. So they saw him as um, they're implying that he directly knew about it. And now again, in the, the fog of war 11 years later, he's just trying to blame like the system and we were part of it. And he's trying to distance himself as an individual. So on face value from an organizational standpoint, it looks like a, like a nice accountable response, but it be just saying that it's uh, pretty Weasley because everybody knew more than they're letting on. They, that they knew. Well, if that's the case, then I think the statement's working because it, it made me zero <laughs> in on, on the person he's trying to finger in this. But, yeah, that's the case, then, you know, it, it is a bit weaselly to try and not take ultimate responsibility yourself if you knew about it. Um, although in that in that situation, what else could you do? But you'd have to resign, right? You couldn't stay on heading an organization if you admit to a failure like that. Well, and that's when actions speak louder than words too, right? Like the words... I will say that from a from a tactical standpoint, it was a well written statement because it has the the intended effect. I think the big effect here is you don't want to look, um, you know, if you're a Weasley executive who's trying to protect your job, you don't want to look like you were the worst person in the room, and you don't want to make it look like you're being um, apathetic. You want to just have your statement, have people read it, and move on to the next one, like the Duncan Keith one, for example. Um, how about the the one from the the team itself, who's in the middle of a, a lawsuit right now? Like this all started 
because he filed suit against the Chicago Blackhawks in May. And so Joe Quenville actually came out, and I, you might be getting the dates wrong, but he basically alluded that the first, oh, oh, yeah, I saw the allegations. The first I heard of this was in May when I found out about the court case. And people are saying that that's, that's absolutely not true. So here's the, the statement from the Chicago Blackhawks. And it's very interesting because, you, you know, you know the effort and the eyeballs and the lawyers and just the scrutiny that goes into a statement like this in a situation like this. First, we would like to acknowledge and commend Kyle Beach's courage in coming forward. As an organization, the Chicago Blackhawks reiterate our deepest apologies to him for what he's gone through and for the organization's failure to promptly respond when he bravely brought this matter to light in 2010. It was inexcusable for the then executives of the Blackhawks organization to delay taking action regarding the reported sexual misconduct. No playoff game or championship is more important than protecting our players and staff from predatory behavior. The Blackhawks have impl implemented numerous changes and improvements within the organization, including hiring a new leadership team that is committed to winning championships while adhering to the highest ethical, professional, and athletic standards. What do you think of that? Well, it's, it rings a little bit hollow because, you know, like I know they, I know one guy has resigned, but it seems to me that this is, this, this requires more systemic change than one guy resigning and then, throwing a bunch of words out at uh, the, the, the changes you say you've made. It'd be interesting to know how many people are actually still around from, from back then. I, I found the note, uh, it, it was inexcusable for the then executives. Like, it's like, everyone is, like, we commend him, he's courageous, but it was, it was not us, it was the other guys. And it just, there seems to be a little bit of this there as well. Mm -hmm. and, and the last sentence really rubs me the wrong way. And I actually had one of my buddies sent me a text about this 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 morning he said did you see this the Blackhawks statement and it ends basically saying the Blackhawks have implemented numerous changes and improvements within the organization including hiring a new leadership team that's committed to winning championships while adhering to the highest ethical professional and and athletic standards I don't think you need to be talking about championships at all in this I know it seems out of place doesn't it it reminds me of the scene from Jerry Maguire where if you remember there's this little montage at the beginning when all his clients were getting in trouble and he's walking into, I think it's like the police station or something. And one of his players has been uh, arrested for something. And he looks at the press and he gives him the finger guns and says, the only thing that this guy's guilty of is being a tremendous quarterback or, or you know, receiver or whatever. And it kind of sounds like that. It's just, it's, it just, it's a little out of place. It just seems, because yeah. the allegation was that they won the Stanley Cup that year. Like this, this guy, Aldrich, his name is on the Stanley Cup. And now, now there are people who are trying to have it be whatever covered up or scratched off or how, whatever that process is. But you talk about reputations and legacies. Like it's just, there's so many elements to the story and you know that there are other players. Well, if we know of one for sure, but even the way that the situation was handled, this guy, the, the video coach was allowed to resign instead of being fired. And he's gone on to have a, jobs in a whole bunch of other places. So no one knows how many other people Hopefully the number is zero, but like, yeah, I'm just thinking just based on, uh, you know, stories like this you've seen in other places, the Catholic church and th like they just move them from parish to parish to parish. And so who knows uh, where else this has happened and how many other victims. Yeah. There are. Yeah. yeah all, all in all, it's, it's just a bad, bad. It, it, it revealed that like just the disregard for doing the right thing. What do you think is going to happen uh, lawsuit wise? Do you think that, that 
I, I'm guessing there's going to be a tremendous judgment in this kid's, uh, well, he's not a kid anymore, but in his, uh, he's going to, I think the club's going to have to pay him multi, multi-million dollars. Uh, probably. They, the Blackhawks say they're looking to settle, so um, I guess they'd be crazy to take this to court. And he was the first, he, it's not like he was just a, like a middling hockey player. He was like a first-round draft pick. Yeah, he was, he was a, yeah. In 2008, yeah. he was he was a very high pick, and now he's playing yeah. uh, over in Europe somewhere. But, like, uh, you really, really feel sorry for the guy. Yeah. Um, anything else about this one? You know, I think this will be interesting, another one just to watch, because I, th- I don't think that we've seen the end of it. And in particular, I'm very curious to see how some of these players who knew what was going on are going to be treated as they... As this, as this advances forward. All right, I guess that wraps it up for this week. Have you seen uh, Squid Game yet? No, I haven't. My kids have, though. Oh, my God. It's, uh... I saw this, the, the the metrics on it. They said that, like, Tiger King was, was really popular at the beginning of the pandemic, and this just blew it out of the water in terms of um, just the number of people that have seen it. I think they said it was like their biggest show in history in terms of viewership. It's uh, so unlike anything I've ever seen before. And uh, it was, I like just the sets, the, the story, just so interesting. Very, it looks pretty crazy. I saw a couple clips from it. Yeah. I uh, recommend. So you got to, you have some homework, you got to watch that and you have to watch the Dave Chappelle special and we will, uh, we'll reconvene next week. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.